The National Fire Academy is in Emmitsburg, Maryland, and it's where good firemen go to become better firemen. Thousands of them every year. The career and volunteer firefighters both, they go to the National Fire Academy to learn the latest in fire prevention, firefighting, fire department management, you name it. Well, while on that campus, one class in fire prevention was challenged to a competition. And the competition was that these students at the National Fire Academy were sent out to see which student could find the most fire code violations in any one building. They could choose any building they liked. Well, when the contest was over, the winner of the competition had found and confirmed 180 separate fire code violations in just one building. But the irony of it was he found that building without having to leave the campus of the National Fire Academy. Now, that had to be a little embarrassing, I would think, for a building on the campus of the National Fire Academy to have so many fire code violations. How do you go about enforcing rules that you yourself are breaking? Many of us try to do it, though. We condemn ourselves in the process. Jesus gave a stern warning about that kind of hypocrisy in Matthew chapter 7, the first six verses. That's our text for this morning's message as we continue on in our series of messages in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So I invite your attention with me to Matthew chapter 7. I'll read verses 1 through 6 for us. And if you are able, I would invite you to stand with me for the reading of the Word of God. Jesus speaking here says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Thank you. Please be seated. <coughs> now that last verse there about the dogs and the pigs doesn't have any parallel in any of the other Gospels. And it may seem out of place, uh, disjointed perhaps, but it isn't out of place as we will see. But let's start at the beginning, verse 1. Verse 1, as you probably know, is the mantra of those who view tolerance as the highest virtue. You are no doubt aware of that. They say we should tolerate all kinds of sinful behavior, specifically their sinful behavior. And they use this verse to justify their assertion that we should tolerate it, that they not be judged. But we need to be careful not to under, misunderstand what Jesus is saying 
here, the way those who are biblically illiterate so often do. Jesus isn't using the word judge in this instance to prohibit such things as laws or courts or penalties or punishments or even church discipline, which Jesus gives instruction for later in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. Jesus isn't prohibiting any of that, nor is he prohibiting the discernment that we have to use as a central aspect of life, that which helps us, for example, distinguish between what we call good judgment and bad judgment. No, what Jesus is prohibiting here is the self-righteous judgmentalism and condemnation of others, something that seems to be such an irresistible temptation in our current environment. That kind of judgment has become particularly rampant in our current social scene, hasn't it? If you don't believe it, just read the comment stream under nearly any online news story or controversial social media post. As people do their best to condemn one another and, and correct one another, almost with glee it seems. Now, a big part of the reason for that is, as Dallas Willard says, we have great confidence in the power of condemnation to straighten others out. We think we can straighten people out and get them to thinking the way we want them to think by condemning the way they're thinking now or what they're doing now, and it really doesn't work. It just doesn't do what we hope it will do or think it will do. In fact, Dallas Willard says it is extremely rare that anyone who is condemned will respond by changing in the desired way. And those who can so respond are most likely to be spiritual giants already. Rebuke a wise man, the proverb says, and he will love you for it. Proverbs 9 verse 8. Yes, but in most cases where we condemn, we are not dealing with wise people. We're dealing with people, even very young people, who will simply be deeply injured, become angry, and repay us in kind. Now, because it's Father's Day, I want to call you dads to notice this one thing in particular. Even very young people will get deeply injured and become angry. So bless your children with encouragement. Don't curse them with constant judgment and condemnation or you will reap their bitterness, their anger, and their rebellion. Just a word to the wise on Father's Day. In this passage, Jesus issues a pretty strong warning when he tells us not to judge. It's related to the familiar biblical principle of reaping what we sow. In verses 1 and 2, Jesus says, Don't judge, or you too will be judged. In the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's a warning. It ought to get our attention. Bible scholar and professor D.A. Carson, in his commentary on this passage, says, Those who judge like this will in turn be judged. 
not by men, which would be of little consequence, but by God. The disciple who takes it on himself to be the judge of what another does usurps the place of God, as it says in Romans 14.10, and therefore becomes answerable to God. Now, Romans 14.10 says, You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So what that tells us is that we need to give attention to ourselves before we turn our attention toward the faults and the shortcomings of others. Even if we sincerely want to help them. According to Jesus, we're too often focused on the splinters in the eyes of others and miss seeing the logs in our own eyes. We see specks in the eyes of others instead of planks that are in our eyes, according to Jesus. And we see that kind of thing happen all around us. We see it every day. I'll give you a quick example. In January of last year in Beaverton, Oregon, a woman pulled up in front of a grocery market, parked her SUV just 15 feet in front of the market to hop out and go in and grab something. She left the car unlocked and running with her four-year-old in the back seat, but she was close enough she could see the vehicle the whole time. Well, a car thief happened by and hopped in to take advantage of the opportunity that presented itself and sped out, but he very quickly realized that there was a toddler in the back seat. So he turned around, drove back into the parking lot, berated the mother for leaving her child unattended, told her to take the child, and then he drove off in her SUV. <laughs> Beaverton police officer Matt Henderson said, Obviously, we're thankful he brought the little one back and had the decency to do that. But he actually lectured the mother for leaving the child in the car and threatened to call the police on her. Now, it obviously never occurred to this guy that he might be doing something wrong himself. He was blind to his own shortcoming, his own sin, focused instead on the parenting of this mother whose car he stole. That is so like us, even the best of us fall prey to that. There's a story about D.L. Moody and Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who were famous preachers in the 19th century. And I assume this story is true because it's not exactly flattering of either one of them. Accordingly to the story, Moody admired Spurgeon uh, and looked forward to an opportunity to meet Spurgeon on a trip to London that he was taking. And when the day came and he came to Spurgeon's door, Spurgeon answered the door with a cigar in his mouth. And Moody was aghast at this. Moody said, how could you, a man of God, smoke that? And Spurgeon took the cigar out of his mouth. He put his finger on Moody's rather ample midsection smiled and said, the same way you, a man of God, could be that fat. And apparently they got on splendidly after that. 
The truth is we are usually too blind to see our own vices in order to be qualified to condemn the vices that anyone else may exhibit. To his credit now, Moody is also quoted as saying, I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than any other man I know. And if we're honest, we would say the same thing about ourselves. We have trouble with ourselves if we see ourselves correctly. But it's so much easier to ignore our own logs and condemn others for their splinters. But Jesus calls anyone who does that a hypocrite. Anyone. How does he know that they're hypocrites? Well, Dallas Willard says it's because condemnation is the log in our eye. Jesus knows that the mere fact that we are condemning someone shows our heart does not have the kingdom rightness that Jesus has been talking about. Willard says we cannot see clearly how to assist our brother because we cannot see our brother. And we will never know how to truly help him until we have grown into the kind of person who does not condemn, period. Jesus says only then are we going to be able to see clearly to remove the speck that's in the eye of someone else. Verse 5. That's the point of this, you see, to genuinely want to help a brother rather than to condemn him, especially if we're doing what so many people do these days, and that is condemning others just so they can self-righteously feel better about themselves. Now, Jesus does leave open the possibility of removing the splinter from the brother's eye there at the end of verse 5. If our hearts are right, and if we can in honest humility see well enough ourselves to be able to do it, that means having the discernment to know what is really going to help that other person and what isn't. Pearls are of no help to hungry pigs. And sacred things do nothing at all for dogs. And Jesus is talking here about feral hogs and wild dogs, not the domesticated dogs that we love and live with us and, and we care for and, and who care for us. He's talking about the mongrels that roam the alleyways looking for any morsel they can scavenge and eat. Now, time prevents me from entering into a detailed discussion on that. But in a nutshell, the sacred things and the pearls represent the kingdom of God and the gospel as being supremely precious and holy and sacred. The dogs and the hogs are not Gentiles, as some have suggested, or any other race for that matter. They're not even people who are unworthy of the gospel because worthiness is not in question here. If it were a matter of worthiness, Jesus would not have come to save us because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
There is none righteous, no, not one. Jesus said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So it's not a matter of worthiness either. Now, many observers, commentators have historically equated these dogs and hogs to people who have given clear evidence of rejecting the treasure of the gospel, doing it with vicious scorn, with hardened contempt, and even blasphemy. You know, the other part of the proverb that Willard cited earlier, Proverbs 9.8 says, Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. So it's true, persons like that can't see the value of the pearls, as it were, and so thus they aren't going to be helped by them. They may even be embittered and attack you for offering them to them. A starving man in his desperation will want bread more than he wants a Bible. But if in your discernment, You feed that hungry man. You help him. You minister to the needs that he senses that he has and do it in such a way that he sees that you care for him. He may eventually come to a place where he can properly receive your sacred treasure and be saved by it. But it takes discernment. There's an old saying that they won't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And it's very true. One thing is certain, though, condemnation does not communicate caring. So Jesus tells us not to do it. Jesus teaches us not to be judgmental and condemning, but instead humble and discerning and helpful. Gordon MacDonald, a Christian writer at the time he wrote this, Chancellor of Denver Seminary, he found an example of what we're talking about in an unexpected place, and I'm going to close with his description of it. He had some friends, acquaintances, who had been going to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and were really helped by it, and so MacDonald was curious as to what went on there, how things operated there. So he decided to start attending a particular AA meeting himself. He says, one morning, Kathy, I guessed her age at 35, joined us for the first time. One look at her face caused me to conclude that she must have been Hollywood beautiful at 21. Now her face was swollen, her eyes red, her teeth rotting. Her hair looked unwashed, uncombed for who knows how long. I've been in five states in the past month, she said. I've slept under bridges on several nights, been arrested, raped, robbed. She began to weep. I don't know what to do. I don't want to be homeless anymore. By now she's sobbing. He said, but I can't stop drinking. I can't stop. I can't. McDonald says, next to Kathy was a rather large woman, Marilyn, sober for more than a dozen years. She reached with both arms toward Kathy and pulled her close, so close that Kathy's face was 
pressed to Marilyn's breast. I was close enough to hear Marilyn speak quietly into Kathy's ear. Honey, you're going to be okay. You're with us now. We can deal with this together. All you have to do is keep coming. Do you hear me? Keep on coming. And then Marilyn kissed the top of Kathy's head. McDonald says, I was awestruck. The simple words, the affection, the tenderness, how Jesus-like. And he says, I couldn't avoid a troubling question that morning. Could this have happened in the places where I have worshipped? Would there have been a space for Kathy to tell her story? Would there have been a Marilyn to respond in this way? Well, I certainly hope so. Don't you? Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask your forgiveness this morning for the times that we have been guilty of judging and condemning others in our own self-righteousness. When we've been blind to our own weaknesses, shortcomings, sins, we've been uncaring and unhelpful. I pray, God, you'd forgive us for that, that you would humble us, reveal to us the logs in our eyes that we need to deal with, and give us the discernment to seek what will really be helpful for the others we encounter in this world. We are so prone to condemn others who are not like us for whatever reason. If they're not in our tribe, our camp, our party, our area, our city. Forgive us for that, God. Teach us to see others the way you do, with compassion and love and caring and a desire to help. God, may we be quicker to help others with a heart like Jesus than we are to condemn others and to judge them. God, make it so in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, and in our world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for your patient attention.